You're listening to Comedy Central. September 18, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. The Pulitzer Prize-winning reporters who broke the Harvey Weinstein story, Jody Cantor and Megan Tui are here, everybody. Gonna be a really fun conversation about their brand new book. Also on tonight's show, the NFL is running out of players. America may go to war if the price is right, and scientists are experimenting with blacks. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with Amazon, the biggest retailer has steadily been taking over the world, and now they need your help to do it. Tonight, one of the country's biggest employers has put out the help wanted sign, Amazon, looking to fill tens of thousands of positions. Today's Amazon Career Day held in six cities, Arlington, Virginia, the future home of Amazon's HQ2, as well as Nashville, Boston, Dallas, Seattle, and Chicago. Amazon's goal, hire 30,000 employees by early next year. From $15 an hour warehouse jobs to computer programmers and execs earning $125,000 and up. Wow, Amazon's gonna hire 30,000 people? You know you're a big company when you can just hire the population of Palm Springs. Yeah, (laughs) just walk in like, oh, we're hiring all of you. Come on, let's go. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I don't know if I wanna go on a job interview with a company that knows everything I've bought on the internet. Yeah, I just feel like I'd be vulnerable. They'd be like, where do you see yourself in uh, five years? And also, why did you buy this maximum strength butt cream? (laughs) Your hemorrhoids feeling better? I'm like, Also, Amazon isn't just one business. You realize now they do retail, healthcare, web hosting, groceries. They've got a TV studio. Those interviews must have been chaos, right? One dude was there like, I want to work in the warehouse. And the person behind him was like, I'm auditioning for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And also, 30,000 jobs sounds like a lot, but it's small when you remember how many companies they've put out of business, right? And if you think about it, that's the future. Like, Amazon will eventually take over the entire world, and eventually, we will all work for them. Yes, all of us. Our whole lives will just be packing items that we will then deliver to ourselves. (laughs) And we'll be like, here you go, me. Thanks, me. Oh, my butt cream. (laughs) Speaking of people looking for jobs, it looks like quarterback Colin Kaepernick is resubmitting his resume to the NFL. In sports, a rash of quarterback injuries in the NFL could set the stage for Colin Kaepernick to make a comeback. He hasn't played since 2016, but his agent has reportedly contacted teams searching for a QB, saying Kaepernick is ready to return. One source says he's in the best shape of his life. Yeah, of course, Colin Kaepernick is in the best shape of his life. He hasn't played football since 2016. (laughs) Football is the only sport where not playing makes you healthier. Yeah. (laughs) He'll be on the field like, ha ha, my brain damage is three years behind you guys, ha ha ha. But the truth is Kaepernick really actually has a chance to play this year, right? Because it's only week two, and get this, five teams have already lost their quarterbacks to injury. Yeah, which is very lucky for Colin Kaepernick and very suspicious. (laughs) Like, I'm not saying he hurt anybody, but maybe while he was taking a knee, he also asked God for a favor. He was just like, uh, hey, Jesus, won't you 
up some dudes so I can play? Yeah, 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 <laughs> amen. I do think it would be great if Kaepernick came back to play, you know, both for him and the NFL, because he'd be great for ratings, since everyone would tune in to see if he kneels, and he won't be a challenge for the other teams, because they know how to beat him. Every time he snaps the ball, the defense will just sing the national anthem, and then he'll be forced to kneel. Yeah, forget defenders, other teams will just get Carrie Underwood. Sing, sing it now, sing it! (laughs) All right, and finally, a story out of Washington. Everyone knows that the U.S. Secret Service's job is to keep the president and his family safe. And now, they look totally cool doing it. Summer may be ending, but the Secret Service is buying some new summer recreational equipment. The agency is buying two Kawasaki jet skis to help protect dignitaries, including the first family. The Secret Service says the president and the family are very active in water sports. Recently, agents have been paying for watercraft out of their own wallets. Okay, Uh, of all the things I thought I'd learn about Trump and his family, it definitely wasn't that they are active in water sports. I feel like Trump's version of being active in water is trying to keep his hair dry in the shower. You know, it's just like, (laughs) if I get it wet, it'll die. If I get it wet, it'll die. (laughs) But apparently this is a real thing, right? The Secret Service needs to buy jet skis because the Trump family spends a lot of time in the water. Uh, While that and Melania sometimes tries to sail away, they can't let that happen. (laughs) And by the way, if you are worried about government spending, uh, I just want to point out that the jet skis wouldn't be a problem if you had a black president. Yeah. In fact, when you think about it with a black president, you can take water, snow, and camping budgets, and you can put it back into schools. (laughs) All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. (laughs) The Middle East. It's like the New York Knicks. You know, it's got major problems, and it'll probably be generations before they're fixed. And over the weekend, tensions flared up once again in the region when Saudi Arabia's oil facilities were attacked by missiles. And the U.S. and Saudi Arabia are pointing the finger at Iran, which means shit's about to go down. Crisis and uncertainty across the Mideast this morning. The U.S. and Saudi Arabia facing a big military decision. U.S. intelligence indicating cruise missiles that hit Saudi Arabia were fired from Iran. Overnight, Iran issuing a new warning to the United States. Even as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo traveled to the region to confront the crisis. Yeah, that's right. Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State and satisfied Home Depot customer, is flying to the Middle East to confront the crisis head on. I actually feel bad for secretaries of state because you realize they only get sent to shitty situations. (laughs) Yeah, it's always them jumping on a 16-hour flight to go prevent a war or genocide or, like, pretend to like Kim Jong-un. And I was just like, hey, Kim, I love that outfit. Who made it? Oh, a slave. Very nice. (laughs) And it's not even like they have to go to these places in person, right? Like, what is Pompeo doing in the Middle East right now that he can't do on the phone, right? Is he just on the border of Iran? Like, you want a piece of this Iran, huh? You want this Iran? Bring it! Oh, shit, they're bringing it! They're bringing it! (laughs) But despite there being no casualties, this is still a big deal. These facilities are responsible for 5% of the world's oil production, and it's probably why Donald Trump is going through all of his options on how to respond. The Pentagon is cautioning against striking Iran, 
but has given President Trump a list of possible targets there. You certainly could strike Revolutionary Guard core sites. You could hit bases. Other options, a U.S. cyber attack against Iran or targeting Iranian ships. On Monday, military leaders presented him with a list of possible actions against Iran, but people briefed on the meeting say that the president asked for more, that he was looking for a more narrow response that would not draw the U.S. into a broader conflict with Iran. You know, if there's one thing I appreciate about Donald Trump, it's that despite raving like a madman on Twitter, he's actually quite reluctant when it comes to actual war, which when you think about it is everyone on Twitter, yeah. Online, they'll be like, screw you, Gronkowski. But then if he shows up, he'll be like, what did you say? Oh, I was talking about a different Gronkowski. <laughs> My friend, Michael Gronkowski. <laughs> but Trump is always quick to remind America's enemies that just because he doesn't want to fight, doesn't mean that America can't fight. Late Sunday, President Trump said the U.S. believes it knows the culprit behind this weekend's drone attack on Saudi Arabia's oil facilities and is locked and loaded. He said the United States is prepared for war. Uh, the United States is more prepared than any country in the history of, of in any history, <laughs> if we have to go that way. In any history. <laughs> any history. Is Trump talking about parallel universes? <laughs> no, like, what if we think he's crazy, but the truth is that his brain can access alternate realities? <laughs> like, it would explain why everything he says is always just slightly off. Like, maybe in a parallel universe, Hurricane Dorian did hit Alabama. <laughs> yeah, maybe there, Kofifi is a real word. <laughs> and Frederick Douglass is still alive. I mean, it's either that or he's a dumbass, but we'll never know. <laughs> the point is, it's still not clear whether America will go to war with Iran, which is probably confusing for a lot of people because why is protecting Saudi Arabia America's problem to begin with? Well, apparently, it's because Saudi Arabia and America have forged a deep bond over their shared values, uh, by which I mean cold, hard cash. That was an attack on Saudi Arabia, and uh, that wasn't an attack on us, but we would certainly help them. They've been a great ally. They spend... $400 billion in our country over the last number of years. And they're not ones that, unlike some countries, where they want terms. They want terms and conditions. No, no, Saudi Arabia pays cash. The Saudis uh, are going to have a lot of uh, involvement in this if we decide to do something. Uh, they'll be very much involved, and that includes payment. Oh, okay, so is Trump saying America should go to war with Saudi Arabia because they buy their stuff in cash? That would be the worst motivational speech before war ever. Just like, why do we fight? Not for our wives, not for our children. No, because they pay cash. Ah! Sometimes Venmo, which we also accept. Ah! So this is a new day for America. From being a country that used to fight only for its values to uh, Don King over here saying, if the price is right, America gonna fight. And if that's the case, you realize those army ads you see on TV, they have to change them to be a lot different. Are you a country that wants to go to war, but you don't want to use your own weapons? Do you have cash? Well, the American military is open for business. Under President Trump's new policy, America's armed forces are up for rent. We got tanks, we got planes, we got those guns that go ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
And if you order our deluxe package, we'll even send you the guys that got Bin Laden. What a deal! If you got the money, America's military will fight whoever you want. France? Sure! Your country's civil war? Hell yeah! America itself? See you later, my house. Don't spend your blood and treasure on pointless war. Spend ours. Supplies are limited, so call today. Michael Costa, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. You know, every day, scientists are coming out with new innovations to improve our lives. Pills to reverse aging, plants that taste like real meat, and a watch that can tell time. I don't know how Apple did it. And now, scientists at MIT have made a breakthrough with the color black, and there's no going back. Well, a scientific breakthrough at MIT to tell you about involving the color or non-color black. Engineers have developed what they're calling the blackest black on the planet. They've cooked up the color using carbon nanotubes. Uh, this new black is apparently 10 times blacker than anything previously recorded. Can you see it? No. <laughs> I know, it's a little hard. But researchers say that this could serve a practical purpose. The blackest black could end up being used inside telescopes used to spot faraway planets. The blackest black on the planet? Why? <laughs> Who's ever been in the dark and thought, eh, this could be way darker? <laughs> and why are there scientists at MIT who just make colors? That's what kindergartners do. You're telling me some engineer's working on a more efficient solar panel and the guy next to him is like, yellow and blue makes green! <laughs> oh, and if you're wondering if you'll ever see this blackest black in the real world, well, it turns out BMW is already working on it. BMW is taking one of its special edition cars and painting it the blackest black on earth. The company says its newest X6 model will be unveiled next month with one version of what's called a Vanta black finish, considered one of the darkest shades of black on earth with the pigments absorbing 99% of light. Oh yeah, yeah, this is a great idea, BMW. This is, this is what everyone needs, a car that you can't see coming. Mm -mm. Yeah, takes the terror out of being run over as a pedestrian because one minute you're walking and then you're not. Ah, oh, what happened? <laughs> it also give a whole new meaning to Uber Black. Yeah, you'd be like, where the hell is this guy? He's like, you're already in my car. Ah! <laughs> ah! Five stars for Sneaky. <laughs> for more on this exciting new development, please welcome our senior science expert, Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Hello, Blackness. Trevor. I've been following this blackest black story very closely. And I'm not the only one. A couple of store managers have been following it around, too. <laughs> just to make sure. And I have to be honest, this ain't the blackest black. Well, Roy, why would, you, why would you say that? Well, first off, look at what they named it. If you had a black and you knew it was the blackest of all the blacks, you wouldn't just call it the blackest black. You'd give it a cool name, like a cool black name, like T'Challa or Roy. <laughs> Every other color gets its own name. Mahogany isn't called super red. Navy isn't called dark ass blue. You wouldn't call emerald greener than a mother <laughs> The blackest black, they don't even sound like a real thing. Sound like a slur Jesse Smollett made up. <laughs> and, and, and then they called me the blackest black. And they beat me up and stole my sandwich. Also, Trevor, 
how can we know for sure it's the blackest black? They ain't tested it. Did it go to an HBCU? Does it go to church for six hours? Can it make real potato salad? You're gonna call yourself the blackest, you gotta prove yourself. Well, Roy, 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 I think you're confused. This doesn't have anything to do with culture, all right? This is about applied science. It was just basically an experiment in physics. You saw that car BMW made. Oh, yeah. That car was pretty black. That car's so black, it's the only car that's prone to diabetes. <laughs> Which is my point. I don't want a car that has to deal with the same systemic issues as me. That car's so black, even if it was self-driving, it'd get pulled over. <laughs> Excuse me, car. I'm gonna need you to step out of the car. Roy <laughs> Jr., everyone, we'll be right back. tonight are investigative reporters at the New York Times who won the Pulitzer Prize for their coverage of Harvey Weinstein. Their new book is called She Said, Breaking the Sexual Harassment Story that Helped Ignite a Movement. Please welcome Jody Cantor and Megan Tui. Welcome to The Daily Show, and congratulations on a book that I think takes us behind the scenes of one of the biggest stories that has ever hit any country, and that is the story of Harvey Weinstein. You, you, you wrote the book and you titled it She Said, which is oftentimes what people say is, oh, this is he, shed, he said, she said, we can't figure it out. Why use that title? Well, what we really wanted to do was bring you with us on this investigation. The events of Me Too have come to mean so much to so many people, but we can finally tell you the truth of what happened behind the scenes. We want you there with us during those first conversations with the actresses as they're very nervous, even though these are some of the most famous women in the world to mm -hmm. tell us their stories. But there are actually some he's in, he, in she said as well. For example, we want you to meet the kind of deep throat of the Weinstein investigation, Harvey Weinstein's own accountant who had worked for him for 30 years. Wow. Telling you the stories of what happened in that world seems like it would be extremely risky for anyone who's involved in that world. Because when the Harvey Weinstein stories broke, when you broke it, 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 was, it was so intense, like how hard he worked to prevent anybody from speaking out against him. So how do you even begin to convince somebody to speak up when they're up against Harvey Weinstein? Well, there were so many reasons for these women not to speak up and not go on the record. And one of the cases that we made to them was, we can't change what's happened to you in the past, but if you work with us and we are able to publish the truth, we might be able to protect other people from getting hurt. Right, other people in the future from getting hurt. Exactly. Because Harvey's stories span decades. I mean, you have people who are saying, this, this was a big part of my life. This is what Harvey Weinstein did to me. Sexual allegations, though, we've learned, remain, you know, this, in this world where people say, oh, it's murky, and, you know, women, men versus this, that. Nobody knows for certain. You are journalists. You're reporting on this story, but you still have to investigate the women who have come forward with these stories. Was there a conflict in, in, in how you how you report on that? Or is there, is there something that you just have to click into your mind and go like, I'm investigating the story and that's that? Well, 
What we were looking for was evidence. This had all been in the realm of hearsay. And part of what we want people to see in this story is that facts really ha can have social impact when they're mm -hmm. carefully gathered. So part of what we're explaining here is what are secret settlements? How did we find the trail of how Harvey Weinstein paid off women for these allegations for many years? What other kinds of manipulation did he use to essentially make these women's stories disappear? When you look at the obscuring of the truth, when you look at how Harvey Weinstein did it, did it, does it speak to a larger issue in society? You know, because everyone talks about Harvey Weinstein, they go like, oh, that's the worst. But is this something that we need to be looking at on a, on a larger level? Are there more Harveys out there? Society are Harvey Weinstein. Oh, this story goes way beyond Harvey Weinstein. And with additional reporting, we were really able to, this really turned into an X-ray of abuse of power. I mean, we were able to pull the per curtain back on the machinery that was in place to silence women right. and cover Weinstein's tracks. We pushed into the question of complicity, the individuals and institutions that got glimpses of his wrongdoing and basically looked the other way. So these are questions that apply to workplaces across the country, to individuals and colleagues. Right. And, it, I mean, and, and it really does speak to just a broader abuse of power. It really is an interesting conversation about power because in the book, you, you expose women who helped Harvey Weinstein maintain you know, his, his secrecy in doing these things. That, that, I mean, must be, you know, I think heart-wrenching, not just as a journalist, but as a woman as well, finding out how many women help Harvey Weinstein do what he does. This story is filled with surprises about who helped and who hindered. And you're right, Lisa Bloom, a famous feminist attorney who's on TV all the time, has represented victims in very high-profile cases, actually crossed lines to help Harvey Weinstein. And she crossed to the other side, basically. And in the book, we reproduce in full a memo in which she, in her own hand, lays out, it's a kind of audition job memo for Harvey Weinstein. And what she's saying to him is they're worried about the Rose McGowan allegation that right. came very early on, a tweet that didn't name Harvey Weinstein. And Lisa Bloom, this famous feminist, is saying, I will manipulate on your behalf. I will smear on your behalf. And here's exactly how I'm going to do it. It's. It's a really heart-wrenching story when you read through it, but at the same time, it feels like it ends in a hopeful place, which I don't know if I'm interpreting the book correctly. Is, is that what you were trying to achieve? Well, we actually, the, the last bit of, the, the last thing we did in the course of our reporting was a pretty extraordinary group interview. This fall will mark the three-year anniversary of the Access Hollywood tape, mm -hmm. uh, the two-year anniversary of the Weinstein story, and the one-year anniversary of Christine Blasey Ford uh, testifying about Brett Kavanaugh. We brought together in one room women who were central in all three of those stories that helped right. shift the culture. And we asked them, what was it like on the other side? And it was clear that for all of these women, this had been a transforming experience. And so then, and there, it was clear that it wasn't, nobody could be sure what was gonna happen next and where the Me Too movement was headed, but there was a consensus that by speaking up, they'd all help bring about change. There's no doubt that the Me Too movement has affected America forever, but has it actually changed society? Have you noticed through your journalism, through your reporting, maybe even your personal experiences that there's actually been a change in, in what happens in the world? Oh, well, what's so confounding is that everything has changed and nothing has changed. On the one hand, we've seen this 
sort of wave of mass firings. We've seen corporations take this more seriously. On the other hand, we've seen that the basic structures and systems are still in place, and it's not clear that we have yet found a way to solve this problem. But what we can contribute as journalists is you can't solve a problem you can't see. And for a long time, right. nobody saw this problem fully. And so that's our job, to help everybody see it. What do you hope people will get from the book? What I hope people will get from the book is the idea that stories matter. You know, when Megan just described all of these diverse women we had in this room last January talking about the experiences of coming forward, it was everybody from Gwyneth Paltrow to a McDonald's worker to Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, and what I, a woman who had come forward about Trump many years earlier, Rachel Crooks. And what I think they all saw is that these personal, intimate stories from their pasts, once they shared them with other people, they had consequence beyond what they ever could have imagined. Oh, coming together to try and fix what's happened in the past. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an amazing book. I hope everybody reads it, and uh, hopefully the happy ending will, uh, will come true. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. She said, it's available now. A powerful story you have to read. Jody Cantor and Megan Chu, everybody. Thank you both. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.